From the 305 to the 303, this is TCSP. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Brian and the Cadbury Serious Band. Welcome to the TCSP Mixtape Legends Battle. We're back. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? How's everybody doing tonight, Ken? Man, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Doing great tonight. How about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm good. If I'm if I'm being honest, dude, and and I and I'm gonna say this right now, so I don't have to say it again. I'm a little nervous. nervous. Uh, and that's not Why? even any bullshit, man. I mean, I've got a couple of guys that are that are on the show that are just uh, just big. They're big. They're big to me. They're big to a lot of people, man. And uh, so uh, I'm a little bit nervous, man, but I feel like I've got everything taken care of for the night. Uh, I think I've got everything lined up, uh, at least in terms of videos and whatnot and, and intros, since we're really, really make sh making sure we fight those uh, the Facebook and YouTube, YouTube algorithms. I'm not going to put any of those other live things up just so we can keep the flow of the show going. But uh, right. yeah, man, doing real good, man. How's your, how's your week been so far, even though it's only one day behind? This is what I like it. The beginning of the week. It's not, you know, it's right where I need to be. It's Tuesday night. I don't want to be anywhere else but right here. And super excited about tonight's show. This is uh this has been something I've been looking forward to all week. So I uh, can't wait to get into it tonight. Yeah, for those that don't know, what we decided to do was uh try and pit uh two of the most if not the two most legendary bands in all of heavy metal together, trying to figure out which one will win this battle? Uh, and, and really, when we asked everybody to kind of to throw some albums our way, there was a few that stuck and a couple that didn't. I know there was at least one that Stoney had a big disagreement with, and and I decided to go ahead and change that up. But uh, hmm. we're gonna do we're gonna do three studio albums, uh, and then a live album, and uh, see what everybody's got to say about it. So, but we do have some really really awesome guests tonight. We got a couple guys that are uh, I, I'm calling them Texas metal legends, but because they are. Um, and uh, what the hell? We might as well bring it in. We were just kind of shooting the shit backstage, and and I felt like we could have just kept rolling from there. If I'm being honest, yeah, but probably should have. The damn beginning of the show cut us off, man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna try and tally up some scores at the end, and and maybe come up with a winner, at least the winner uh, for about as long as this uh, this show is gonna last us. Uh. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I'm gonna bring on a friend first, real quick. Uh, let me just say when I uh, when I first moved to Austin, Texas, man, I didn't have any friends. And this guy did a, a pretty amazing thing. I'm not really sure if he's going to talk about what he did in order to become a good friend of mine, but he became a really good friend of mine because of it. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and bring in my brother from the ATX, Stony Grant. <laughs> and you're in. <laughs> yes. Casually serious. Thanks, man. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Ken, man. Yeah, dude, it's good to oh, see thank you. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Believe me. Anytime you, uh, you know, blather on about old school metal, then you know, count me in. Love it, love it. Even tonight, even when we're wrong, we're right. That's that's <laughs> that's the rule of this <laughs> one. There's studs on your wrist, and you're right. You know. Yes. It doesn't. I'm matter. thinking. 
no matter who comes out the victor in this legends battle tonight, it's going to be a it's going to be a good time because I really wanted to hear a lot of stories. It was a bunch of trickeration involved on my part for me to just throw some sort of battle up here. I'm really just hoping you guys in here to come and, and talk with us. But uh, the impossible uh, song is what that is. Yeah. Yes, and obviously, uh, and not obviously, but people who were were around in Austin, Texas, and uh, you know, late '90s, 2000s, where I was, would know that Stony is one of the hardest working dudes in the metal business. He's in, uh, I think, thirty to thirty three bands right now, and uh, and I decided to hold. Uh, Whittle yeah. down. thirty. <laughs> Used to be double, man. It was a lot. It was a lot heavier back in the days. But not only is he, but our next guest is definitely in his equally as many ridiculously talented bands so let's go ahead and bring in our brother right now mr jason mcmaster hello what guys how's it going hey, man i am i am indy cho <laughs> thanks for having me guys Hey man, thanks for coming. If I'm being honest, and 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 I was saying earlier, um, you know, I just did not expect either of you guys to be able to even find time to do it, and I felt very ignorant when I was texting you and giving you instant messages like, "Hey, meet up with me so we can check out this connection thing." I'm thinking, there's no way this guy has a podcast. There's absolutely no way. Um, and uh, lo and behold, you found time to squeeze in a podcast, and uh, amongst your other uh, dozens well, of projects, everybody has a podcast. You should know that by now, because yeah, if you have do. one, you know I have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stoney, I, I can't wait to see Stoney's podcast. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, now Jason's got more energy and more drive than anybody else I know, so it doesn't surprise me. One man, day. I don't know about any of that, but thank you for the accolades. Well. I, I'm saying my experience stops uh, right around 2005. So you guys are held in this youthful vacuum uh, of about 97 to 2005 in my mind. Although I did see Stoney in 2008 when you came up to Denver to go to uh, Heaven and Hell. Uh, when Obviously, Dio's last show out here in Red Rocks. Uh, but yeah, Jason, I haven't seen you in a long time, man. Beautiful thing. That show was insane, man. And I've seen a lot of really, really good shows at Red Rock since then. But being able to see Heaven and Hell second row was quite was quite sick, especially someone like myself who hadn't been able to see Sabbath or up to that point, only Ozzy on a couple occasions. Yeah, it was incredible, man. There's not even a way to describe a word for it, really. You know. Do you remember uh, what was the first what was the first time? Uh, because I wound up obviously over the course of the early 2000s managing and booking your band Drifter and Iron Maiden tribute band, the best one I had heard. And I, I can't remember for the life of me how that started. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'd heard some more. You know that. But what what was the uh, what was the context? How did that even come about between you and I? I just thought you had a much better voice than telephone voice and the, than I did. And I told you one day, we're all lazy musicians, dude. We're not going to pick up the phone and we'll go to, we'll, we'll mercilessly go to rehearsals, but nobody will make a phone call <laughs> to book a gig. So I just thought you'd be better at it, even if you were terrible, much better at it than I would be at the time, you know. I seem to remember a dare. Uh, I remember there was a dare involved or, or more of a challenge where you were like, if you can get me into the back room, um, then we'll we'll employ you full time or something like that. I played there with another original band I had, you had before that, but uh, right. I, was, I don't have. I'll I'll just be like, okay, if someone turns you down, just <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I need a, a, someone that's a little more, uh, you know, 
booking your own booking your own band like like you know having to to be put on the spot to tell people how awesome you are just blows <laughs> so i get it and you don't want yeah. to you know i think no, and i, I remember a, being able to be that in between you're a godsend and i thank you you know forever for doing that now yeah i don't know it was you know it was like try. It was like selling suntan oil in Miami Beach, dude. It wasn't necessarily the hardest thing in the world to get done, but you know, after we did go through a couple of shows, and that's obviously how I went on to meet uh, Jason because, uh, you know, he, he was doing lots of stuff around Austin at the time, and uh, I you were, you were like, we need to get in with Broken Teeth and see if we can get Broken Teeth involved, and obviously you had already had a history, Jason, with uh, with Big Balls and uh, plenty of other people, and I was just kind of learning that whole circuit, but. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's how I that's how I bumped into you and uh, and wound up uh, doing a few shows with you guys, which was which was great. Yeah, I thought I thought I'm pretty sure that I'm right that Big Balls was already playing with Drifter uh, without without me. I wasn't in Big Balls at the time. And yeah, that was lineup changes that were happening uh, in Drifter around the same time, I believe, or about to happen with Big Balls too. So. Uh, you know, it's a it's a weird game, but uh, it was good times. It's good times. Really a vehicle because I wasn't from Austin, didn't get here tonight too. So it was really a vehicle to meet everybody I needed to meet in the town, including Jason McMaster and well everybody you know at the back room and beyond. So, so, you, so you came to Austin in '92, Stony. Yeah. yeah, that's still that's still quite early, uh, because early enough. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, damn, that's thirty years ago. Yeah, it's time for shit. Cheers, uh, cheers to that. <laughs> yeah, buddy. But uh, you know, it's 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 crazy because I uh, we were talking about this earlier about sort of how uh, uh, for myself and I think for Ken, um, Judas Priest wasn't for some reason hitting as hard to us as it might have been for some other bands, uh, but. We, we were thinking to ourselves that we were going to put together this battle and it kind of had to be between the, the other band besides Judas Priest, which in our mind has always been Maiden. And uh, I remember being old enough to when I was exposed to Maiden, it was probably, let me I want to say maybe maybe Beast, but definitely Peace of Mind might be the first memories I have of Maiden. Um, and so I didn't really go backwards to the first two albums like we had spoken about earlier, sort of having to like check out that earlier catalog. But during that time that I was that I was managing and booking your band Drifter, I got a crash course in that the Diano era stuff that I didn't. Uh, it, it was almost it was almost like being able to see Maiden doing their stuff backstage because it was kind of hammered into my head, and I was like, "Damn it! How come I didn't hear this and appreciate it enough?" Jason, what do you it, think? It's not uh, it's not your fault, Bob. It's kind <laughs> of. Um, <laughs> You know, thank it, you, man. It, just because there's a bus coming down the road and no one tells you, "Hey, get out of the street!" There's a bus coming. <laughs> you know, the bus just missed you. Uh, I think that a lot of it has to do with um, just you're a few years younger. Uh, I mean, I mean, I heard Prowler on the radio. Is how oh, I Jesus. heard about Maiden. Was that the one? I was down in Corpus Christi. C one hundred and one played Prowler. Wow! And uh, you know, I heard the words Iron Maiden on the radio, and it was like, "What?" Uh, and then next thing I know, um, you know, I'm 
I'm, I don't have the record yet. I don't even think that I ended up with it until, uh, you know, maybe a year later or, or something. But um, I never, I never saw Maiden until Beast. So I, I never got to see uh, them with Diano. Because, but I know that that Priest. I want to say they used to start their tours in South Texas, Laredo, you know, down in the valley. Yeah, McAllen, yeah, Laredo. Uh, and I've just, you know, I've heard rumors and I, I'm reading Halford's book at the moment, too. So there's all this stuff that's, you know, you, you hear that's either confirmed or close enough to, you know, the the legends, the lore that you've heard about that. But, you know, uh, where Stoney's from down there in uh, – was Edinburgh? Where where are you from? Edinburgh, McAllen. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, uh, in McAllen Coliseum or whatever the convention center, or whatever they call it, I know Diano Maiden opened for Priest, and That's, that would have been like eighty one, maybe. I was, I was there. Yeah, um, yeah. It was eighty one Killers Tour, and uh, well, going what Jason's right though. It depends on, on you guys. Your you know your ages. Um, even Jason and, you know, uh, didn't get to experience priest in the moment, you know, I can, you know, sadly to destiny and all that stuff. It just goes I, way back. But, I need to chime in and say it wasn't, it was just because I was slow. It, it, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I was, I was a punk. I was little. I didn't, I, you know, well, you know, you know what I mean? I was, I don't know. I was a young teenager. What what is a nineteen? I mean, I got to Austin in like eighty eighty one from Corpus Christi, and so it was right around the time that I was getting ready to move to Austin that that Maiden Priest tour was happening. What was it? Uh, it was uh, Killers British Steel. Oh, it was a uh, point of entry, British and killers. Point, point, point. Thank you. Point of entry. Damn. And killers. Oh man, that's just sick. Just I got even thinking I, about that story. Crazy. Uh, I'll try and make it really fast. No, don't worry about it. We've got. Uh, we've got. Uh, unless you guys have somewhere to go, dude. Don't think of that story. Uh, well, in, Details. In McAllen at the time, which is right on the Mexican border, uh, down the Rio Grande Valley. You didn't get a lot of shows like you did in San Antonio, even Corpus, you know, or San Antonio, Austin, any of the cities. So you were luck lucky to get anything. And uh, no internet, obviously, you know. So Priest came in 80 on the British Steel Tour with like Axe or somebody. I can't remember exactly who it was, but wow. I went to that at 13 in, in 1980 and it melted the left side of my brain <laughs> of course it did that came through corpus christi as well and like i said i missed it and you're right jason there's a little bit of, not a little venue like a big barn venue called la via la via real in uh Michigan. yeah i played there yeah played red played red rocks too awesome <laughs> shit and you opened for slayer right in san antonio didn't you with in austin, in austin at the ritz oh austin that's right yeah. that's so that's just on, ridiculous. Uh, that's on ridiculous. thursday november 29th 1984 <laughs> okay all right 
You didn't have that written down either, because if something like that happens, you remember that well, day for the rest of your freaking well, life. Well, I have, I have the show poster autographed by Slayer and Frank. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, man. Uh, I have to, you know, the Slayer is the one band that I've seen the most. I saw, I've seen them 16 times. Um, definitely one of my, wow. my favorite bands ever. That's, uh, that's, that's insane that you got to open for them. And, and uh, yeah, and you know, Texas is when I moved there, I I got a crash course in, on how important San Antonio and sort of certain areas of Texas are. If you fuck up there, you probably don't come back. And I remember like trying to book us at Strutters out there and a and a couple of places uh, that they were, you know, the uh, first time they were like, "Do you guys are you guys really good?" And at that time, you guys have obviously already been good drifter, but. I could tell that they were like, all right, you know, if you screw this up, you're probably not coming back. Uh, but Texas was hardcore, man. They still are. The uh, the the story uh, Stoney was saying about um, South Texas and, and Priest and Maiden coming through there, as well as San Antonio, and then kind of like finishing out what would just be a U.S. tour. Um Stony out of the four of us is the luckiest man here because he got to uh, witness like the beginnings of uh, of what we would later call uh, the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, he saw like the genesis of of something that I mean, what was happening in England, you know, out of the black country, uh, he saw it, and that's so, the <laughs> this conversation is over. Stoney's the winner. <laughs> I didn't know this is Jason versus Stoney. Holy shit. Stoney is the winner. It melted the first half of my brain. So the very next summer, I'm 14. Oh, Priest is coming back. And they're bringing a band no one's ever heard of called Iron Maiden. Who? And we didn't know who they were. And uh, they came off a 35 minutes killers tour, Diano Burr, uh, and Ballister the place. And, uh, that melted the other half of my brain. So at 14, it was already over. Like, there was no worse. After that. Ken, real quick, I'm going to have to ask you, because we're both drummers, who is your, who's your favorite? I'm, I'm taking Clive Burr in this one. Just He's just my favorite drummer for Maiden. And I'm not knocking Nico. I'm just saying, man, something about Clive, dude. Yeah, I mean, drumming straight up, then it, it, it's a it's a great comparison, I think. But uh, I've been a huge Nico fan for for a long time, and him being here in West Palm Beach, and uh, he, he makes some really good ribs too. Just you know, that gives him the advantage. That's it. That's where I'm going to go with Nico on. He makes better ribs yeah. than, than Clive. There you go. That's legit. All right. That's I good. thought I never had Clive's ribs, but he had good chops. I remember that. <laughs> but um. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they both win. I see some similarities in both of those guys, even the way sure. they set their kit. Right. Right. Pretty strange. Um, my my favorite Nico um, record is actually not an Iron Maiden record. It's a uh, it's a French band called Trust, and he played on a record called Savage. Now it was probably called something else in French. Uh, in France, but they're a French band, and I might have the record uh, like just a couple of feet from my arm. I could reach over and grab it. But anyway, the it's a it, it's an excellent hard rock record, and you know Nico uh, also played with Pat Travers, and wow. he's just he's just so like uh, worldly, and I bet um, 
I bet there's so much about him and his career and people he's done records with and sessions with and things like that. It would be, uh, it would, um, be fun to be a fly on the wall and hear him read his book, so to speak. Yeah. He's a, I, I, I don't have a, a, a musician story, but I, I do have a little bit of a fan story with Nico. Uh, we went overseas and saw them play in, uh, on the last tour in Legacy in Geneva and in Madrid. And when we were in Geneva, we were walking around and we look over and it's like, man, that guy looks familiar. And sure enough, there's Nico with his wife hanging out, having an ice cream cone, whatever. Walked over to him, talked to him for a bit. And here's a guy who lives in West Palm, not far from me. I've been to his restaurant tons of times. I never see the dude. I keep hearing he's there the day before, the week before. And I have to go across the ocean to find the guy and meet him. And I'll tell you what, as a kid, like I said, I grew up a huge fan as a drummer. Um, to be able to meet that guy. Of all the members of the band that could have been walking around, it was Nico right there. And he spent a good 15, 20 minutes with my my best friend, my wife, my daughter, and I. And we had a great conversation. It was a uh, it was great. I mean, really, the guy is a fantastic human on on top of being an incredible drummer. Awesome. That is awesome, man. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I remember the pictures, man. I was like, damn it. <laughs> Him with two ice cream cones. He was double fisting the ice cream cones, too. He was holding his <laughs> yeah. watches. It's pretty nice. Uh, drumsticks. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good, man. Damn. It's like you're awesome. obviously not lactose intolerant. You have a show tonight. And you're eating two ice cream cones. You're good. <laughs> that is layered for sure. Well, you know, we uh, we we are calling this a Legends battle, so <clears throat> I guess we might as well get into the first one. So let's check out the first battle we're gonna we're gonna try and and find a winner for tonight. Iron Maiden versus Rocco Rolla. All right, so basically. It, when we're talking about those first couple albums for on Judas Priest side, I had to actually go and listen to them over the last couple of days, and I was actually kind of blown away with the first couple of Priest albums. Man, it's just such a departure from what I was, you know, was thrust upon me when I was finally able to listen to them. But um, that first Iron Maiden album, man, has a has some pretty badass tunes on it. Man, it was definitely uh, one of those. Where if they were just obviously they started off as a you know a small band and you were to see them produce those songs live compared to what was going on at the time, uh, that's pretty crazy stuff, man. I found personally my two favorite uh, songs on uh, on Iron, the Iron Maiden debut album are Prowler and uh, and Phantom. Uh, Ken, that's what about you? Exactly the two. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm not a huge fan and i and again i I should be because it's a good album but those two songs are incredible but i think it's when it gets into stuff for me um like running free and iron maiden and just i don't know it's a i don't want to call it corny but it's a little corny and some some of it just gets away from from me a little bit um so, it didn't age well for you? I guess it didn't. And it's funny because those are the songs they'll play live today and they won't play the others. But um, I don't know. That's just for me personally. It and, and I didn't know the Priest album very well. I did go and listen to it this week and actually was, was quite impressed with it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was good all the way through for me. It kind of kept its uh, its style of music that I, I enjoyed. So, um, yeah, this was, this was an interesting... Uh, 
album for me to look at against uh, a Maiden album, which I think I call myself a big fan and I don't even know enough about their first two albums I've learned um, in, in listening to them a little bit more this, uh, this past week. That's I was able to... Uh, <laughs> my The song that I chose off of uh, Rockerola was Cheater. That seemed to be the one that I kind of pulled away from when I was like, I, I, I think I went back and listened to that a few times over and over and over. Like this is, it was just, you know, it seems like so experimental if I'm being honest. And that's what kind of impressed me about it. It was almost like they were finding something and then somewhere around the third album, it was like, boom, there it is. And now we're going to throw it all over the world. <laughs> um, Stoney, what are some memories you have of, of, of these two particular albums? We're talking about uh, Iron Maiden versus Rockerola. First, staying in the, within the confines, uh, I love Rockerola. I always did from day one. Uh, I think it's got a, almost like a dark, almost like a Sabbath feel. Uh, yeah, I was gonna. That's what I was gonna to touch on. Is uh, yeah, it was. It's kind of gloomy. The record yes. production yeah. is gloomy as well, and uh, it does have a soft tone to it when you hear it. It's almost a little muffled. Ian Hill was actually using his fingers back then, like uh, so. It kind of adds another Sabbathy kind of. You know, he's all over the place with his fingers at the time. Wow! So it's a uh, it's cool, and you can see they hadn't found their legs, obviously, but yet maybe. But Halford, if you listen to like some screams, like the end of uh, "Dying to What Is It," uh, it's never, never, never satisfied, never satisfied, and some things like that off there, or you could tell where he was going already. You know, it's. Uh, mm-hmm sign of things to come vocally so i really like that but i have to pick the iron maiden debut just for the sheer fact that it has prowler Phantom of the opera uh sanctuary uh strange world uh transylvania you can't be you know you just that i gotta go with the, the maiden debut on that remember tomorrow yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. So I guess three of us have taken Maiden on that one. Jason, how about you? What are some memories you have of those I, uh, those albums? I I really love um, Rockerola by way of uh, like it's pretty much been said. What year again is Rockerola? It's seventy four. Seventy four. Okay. Or, so yeah, early seventy four, I think. So once again, it's not uh, anyone's fault that they're older that priest are the elder gents in this battle between of debut records and i'm thinking technology iron maiden maybe had a little bit of a head start technology wise for recording uh definitely not like songwriting but i i don't uh know if 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 age really has a lot to do with it there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of rotting old metal dudes that still write kick-ass power metal and thrash metal, metal and just write songs, you know. So, you know, I think that uh, the experimental side of Rockerola, uh, I, I really liked. You know, like I said, you got, I'm using words that you guys have already used to describe this. Um, Stoney's totally right on the Sabbath thing. Um, I think it inter- be very interesting that Sabbath was already, and being from Birmingham too, the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of crazy that Sabbath and Priest are from right there and that just right down the road from each other. And Sabbath is like, um, you know, a thing already 
uh, from 70 on being that their first record, you know, charted and everything. Already two at that time. Yeah, they were already three records in, four records in, or, you know, three, at least three, uh, when Priest just has one record out. And yeah, you could say low budget, you know, and and to get to the point, uh, the the Iron Maiden debut and then Rockarola. Priest, they don't like that album cover. I think that they feel like the tones are weak on the record. Like I said earlier, backstage, I'm reading Halford's book, and so it's all there in black and white. His wow. feelings about what's going on with the record, and and uh, they, the album cover, the record label came up with that, and it's like, what, you know? Let's be as blatant and obvious as possible. And call it, you know, they may have even, I, I don't really recall exactly, but they may have even had a different uh, title for it even though they're, they have a, a song, you know, called rock and roll up, but, right. Um, but Bob, I like cheater. I think that that's cool. Um, armored saint covered, never satisfied. There, there's a lot of reasons why the first priest record is like this sort of like, you know, floating orb. It's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's yeah. sort of like visiting, you know, like remember me kind of thing. Yeah. And 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 then um the first Iron Maiden is just a a slam dunk because yeah. it's uh it's energetic and it has like a punk rock thing about it. It uh I, I mean just <laughs> you know, it's just motorhead. It's like it's, it's over the top. Well, until the kitty cat comes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, I think that there's something about all all of it, and 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 um, you know, no one in this room has mentioned Eddie yet. So true. Wow. Uh, you know, come on, Eddie. That album cover, Derek Riggs, like completely stole the show. That is the reason why people. Yep. That is the reason why at least 50% of the people that bought that record the week it came out, the album cover art. Right. You're 100% correct on that. Right. And it, that went for a lot of bands too. It's almost like if you didn't have that something good back in the day, you were, you might not, you might've had, you might've been past fingered, you know, right. someone goes right past you for another record. And, that, and that'd be exactly, you know, why the toys put, you know, took Eddie and put clown makeup on him. So we could have them on our debut album too. And you're Good the you're, that's the damn truth because I think when Stoney said, uh, you know, and I'm like, I recognize this guy. Yeah, he's a singer of Dangerous Toys. That is what popped in my head was that fucking clown <laughs> in my face, and I'm like, okay, that that's it worked. It worked because yes. I don't know how many songs I might have heard, but I know the damn clown and I know the font for your band. Well, it just because in my head right away. Well, all you right. gotta do is think of Eddie wearing clown makeup and yeah. never done that. <laughs> Like great idea, by the way. You know. Yes. Well, yeah, and, and no, you know, I'm, 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 I'm definitely jesting. I'm, I'm being, I'm poking fun, but, I mean, come on, it's, it's exactly what it is. And the, the oh, artist, oh, would, the artist learned everything he knows from, from drawing Eddie. You know, so, uh, hats off to Tommy Pons, who's an excellent uh, artist, obviously. Um, but you know, that that was kind of what was going on with me was 
I heard Prowler, then I saw the album cover, and I was like, okay, these guys know what's going on. They they just take my money kind of thing. <laughs> but but the record was insane for the time for because it was punk rock, it was metal, it was progressive. And um, you know, I think people thought that the beginning of uh uh you know the bass, the bass stuff, the little bass riff in Phantom. That I think that people thought that was guitar because you know at the time in in eighty eighty one or whatever, people were not, they didn't understand bass like that. Right? No way. Oh, that's that's like Alex Lifeson on on the end of Working Man. Right. That's the truth, man. It's the same, you know, it's a triplet little riff and and it's like done on a bass with fingers. And it's like, you know, Getty Lee on crack, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I realized I saw it live. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it probably made you you're I'm sure you were already playing bass. I was already playing bass, too. But the the point is the point is the point. Um, I have to go. I have to go with the maiden. Uh, I think that like i said earlier it was early the priests were they wanted to play rock and roll you know uh in, it's all in the book i have to give credit to halford's book it's called confess you know he had a band called lord lucifer and glenn had glenn tipton had a band called flying hat what the fuck is that anyway <laughs> lord you know so it, halford knew that he wanted to 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 be this sort of like even though it wasn't he wasn't wearing it on his sleeve he wanted to to do do this very dramatic sinister type of music and i think that he was dramatically involved in making sure that that was going to happen but it didn't quite happen yet until probably stained class or hell bent you know but when you think about not to go not to get you know i think sin after sin and i think that sad wings of destiny uh maybe sin after sin was way more metal than sad wings of destiny because sad wings still had the dreary drudge sort of doom and gloom vibe about it i mean the ripper is so slow you know it's it's doomy as hell it is and it's quicksand and they never played it that slow ever again (laughs) so by the time they're playing those songs live they're metal but previously i think it was really hard to see them the way that everyone later on like early 80s you know, through, throughout the 70s, Priest is like this entirely different band before the first Iron Maiden comes out. I'm just trying to say this one thing, guys. Okay. It's not a fair fight. Yeah. <laughs> I got to right. go with the Maiden because Priest is still in the oven. Yeah. I remember, you know, as I'm listening to this, because like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't been very exposed to it. So as I'm going back and listening to this, this first album, 
I actually stopped it and was like, all right, I think I got the wrong album because this is just, just, I mean, I hear somebody. It's almost like when I, when I went back and started listening to some Wicked Lester, I'm like, this isn't Gene and Paul. And then you got you to gotta listen real hard. You start hearing it. But there was a definitive evolution over that time. And I got, I got to ask you guys, um, since, since you guys play this music and do it so friggin' well, uh, Stoney, what is, what is your favorite song to play off of Iron Maiden's debut album, Iron Maiden? First things, man. Um, probably Phantom of the Opera. Which, Oprah, as you used to say. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I haven't done it, obviously, in a long time. But uh, that was always the my favorite off to play uh, off the first, the debut. Yeah. And while, uh, well, you, and you and Jason obviously share a, uh, another tribute band, Sad Wings, which I've seen. I, I left before you, uh, I was able to see any of that live, but I've seen some video of it. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, Jason, what's, what's, uh, do you play anything? Do you guys even play anything from this album uh, as Sad Wings? Rockarola? Yeah, Rockarola. Oh, no, of course not. Okay. It no, would have to be we, sort of a candlelight thing. And we are, um, we, start with uh unleashed in the east and we sort of like hub out from that okay so right on but you know when you think about it it's like unleashed in the east in the east reads like a uh like a greatest hits anyway it's got songs from sin after sin hellbent for leather uh, uh satin wings of destiny stained class it's got you know but there's nothing from rockarola uh, or for the obvious reasons it's not they were done with that material. They were yeah. done. It's not a fair fight. It certainly not, was a massive evolution. It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I took Maiden anyway, so it looks like we're <laughs> round one. <laughs> so round one, Iron Maiden takes it. <laughs> takes the cake one hundred percent. Soundly too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and and but but again, as you as you guys were kind of talking about how you thought of uh, the adjectives you were using to describe Rockarola, it started sticking into my head because I do remember the sort of the muffleness of that album. Like this sounds like Sabbathy if I'm and and there and there must have been something just really dark and gloomy happening in Birmingham Birmingham sounds like hotter than hell a little bit too. I mean as far yeah. as like production. Yeah. Well that's technology. That's where we yeah. were. Uh, what year was hotter? Seventy four? Yeah, yeah, same year. Yeah, which wow, is that's, that's very, very interesting, isn't it? That the it production sure is. is similar in tone and everything, and yeah, very much hotter than hell's kind of gloomy sounding too. It's interesting. I guess maybe if you're having the same engineers and producers that have been doing it at that time for so long, that that sound probably just sort of stuck. Maybe they're using the same sort of you know filters and whatnot when they're producing albums. Like if you have a heavy metal album, this is how it's got to sound. And, <laughs> you know, template it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I don't even think in '74 that people were using the term heavy metal at all. I don't think that. Right. I think everything was just rock and roll, hard rock, heavy rock, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah everything. Everybody toured together. Everybody was friends. It was a friendly competition. It was no, you know, it, it's just how it was. And there was no, like, uh, you know, they weren't trying to fit these odd things together. Oh, Judas Priest and Journey, that doesn't work. Why not? It does, <laughs> it does work. Just what yeah. It doesn't work now because of the media. So that's not, once again, it's no one's fault. It's, uh, you know, 
bad is people being addicted to something else. Steve yeah. Smith is one of my favorite drummers, man. Shout out to Steve Smith. There you go. Yeah. One of the greats. But uh, all right. So like I said, I guess maybe we're going to go ahead and call a landslide for that one. And, and just Big Jason time. and Tony were saying that's that's there's really no question on that one. But we'll slide into the second round of this battle and uh, see what we've got going there. Killers versus Sad Wings of Destiny. You know, and and again, I had to go back and listen to some of this, and it's it it definitely felt like another evolution with this band, and it just stayed in sort of the same vein. Although I did find, uh, and I think maybe you mentioned it earlier, uh, the Ripper and Tyrant were the two, the two songs off of that album that I came uh, came out with saying that that's actually pretty cool and obviously i'm looking for heavier ones that's just <laughs> so that's what i'm trying to grasp for like trying to grasp to that memory i have of judas priest at that time um but killers on the other hand it was it, uh, still a sort of like i think another step forward for maiden maybe not a big 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 leap but wrathchild and killers are the ones that i take from that album and i'm only picking two we can obviously go and pick five and six for some of these and i'm just going to pick one or two uh and we can obviously debate on all that but uh for me uh i still feel like maiden is taking that one and you know blame it on stony and drifter if i'm being honest man these <laughs> these songs were uh um you know if i didn't want to hear them i had no choice uh and i loved them because of because i heard them live so freaking much but i'm gonna go ahead and take maiden on this one as well uh and again, like Jason said, it's not my fault. So, Ken, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> no, this one, this one for me is a is a no brainer too. I mean, I, I was absolutely able to go back and and uh, check out Sad Wings, and and I was impressed with that album. But Killers is just a fantastic album. This is one of the maiden albums again that's beginning to end. You just you can listen to everything on it, and it's uh, it's a hands down winner on this one for me. Easy. Stony, how about you, my brother? What what are a couple songs you take from that and uh, from that album? I'll try to make this quick. It's gonna get complicated. <laughs> uh, as Good. obsessed as I was for years with Killers, um, cracking the Harris mystery on the techniques he's using, um, putting him under a microscope, uh, I wore that album out. Killers was I was obsessed with it, and I still love it. It's still probably my favorite Maiden album. I'm off a wrench in, and and uh, I agree with Jason 100% on the the production and the slower stuff on Sad Wings. But I look at Sad Wings, Ripper, Genocide, Victim of Changes, Tyrant. That is the start of metal to me. I mean, I wasn't around for it at the time, but I was exposed to those songs from uh, Unleashed in the East. So when I heard them, when I finally heard Sad Wings, I I could hear the metal in it. Maybe it's just me because I had heard those songs first on the live album, which came in 79. Okay. That we walked backwards on that one. Yeah. But the very fact that they, it contains Tyrant, Ripper, Victim of Changes, Island of Domination, I think. Um, I mean, that's as metal as you can get when there's no metal. <laughs> so I'm going to have to actually take Sad Wings of Destiny on, on the. Look at that. Nice. Nice. Stoney took the sad wings on that one. Do you, yeah. is it, and you know, what about this album? Obviously you said you 
you loved it and you've heard it how many you know what about the song that you like from this album to play oh uh, in sad wings it is you mean well you know what <laughs> let's go with either you son of a <laughs> <laughs> double duty that was, a, yeah. that was a little floss that was a little flex on stony's part i like <laughs> that how you did that dude well which double one of my duty, trivia fans tyrant <laughs> uh, is probably my all-time favorite priest song for some reason and so i love playing that song a lot that's the one I took away from from that album, so that makes sense, I guess. And, and it sounds uh, like nothing like the Unleashed in the East version, obviously, but uh, bones are there, and it, I still I love I love that song. Period. You know. Right on. So we got one vote there for uh, for Sad Wings on that one, Mister McMetal. What about yourself, my brother? Now we are taken <laughs> onto the island of damnation. <laughs> Damn. The, the 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 all of the things that Stoney is saying um about sad wings of destiny makes me um love him even more. <laughs> uh here's a here's a thing. So so when I first started playing bass, because I started I, 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 I'm originally a bass player. Wow. And I was like 13 when I was four, 14 or 14 in my first band playing bass. Was afraid of the microphone. Get that thing away from me, you know. <laughs> um, my first band played like every song off of British Steel. We played a bunch of ACDC. We played like Rush 2112. So I mean, I could get around on a bass, but I wasn't a bass player. Stoney's a bass player. Well, you're a damn good bass player. You can, Jason plays anything, guitar, plays all this stuff from Kill 'Em All. Yeah. Things while he's doing it, ridiculous. Well, uh, I owe you some money now, but anyway. So <laughs> the the uh, what I was where I, what I was kind of getting at is um, I learned later on that. And you know we we did a bunch of we did other priests we did victim of changes we did sinner uh, stuff like that uh, in my first band at like age fourteen um, we may have even done like uh, something off of uh, stained class anyway um, you know uh, the first Iron Maiden one now yet when you're talking about sad sad wings. So here we are again with the elder gents, Judas Priest, still finding the metal. Well, they had found the metal on Sad Wings, but they didn't even know it. They're still wearing uh, chiffon and Stetsons and boas, you know. They're dressing more like a cross between, uh, you know, mother's blouses and... <laughs> Stetsons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, uh, go, very weird. Go-go boots and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, they were dressing like the guys in Deep Purple, kind of. Yeah. Which were their idols, you know, Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and the Beatles and stuff like that. Uh, and Sabbath, of course, too. But uh, Sabbath kind of, you know, had a little bit of a, of a glam sort of 70s bell-bottom world going on, too. Just as far as when you like saw them live, you know, what else? What else was there to wear? You know, yeah. Uh, but the but the sound of of um, 
Sad Wings of Destiny um, is still a little dreary. I feel like the production is a little bit better. Um, but if you notice the guitar tones are not, there's no high gain. It's still just a loud Marshall amp. It's a loud tube amp, right? And it's not necessarily like this dirty, distorted, you know, like metal tone that you that you think of now when you think of, um, hell, even, you know, uh, Daryl Abbott, Pantera, or, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a crunchy metal tone. It's a yeah. modern metal guitar tone. There's an app. It's the the other end of the stick. It might as well be acoustic that they're playing. Pirate. <laughs> they're true. playing tyrant on an acoustic on a you know. Uh, so anyway, the point. Uh, the songwriting is there to make metal with. Um, the Ripper, of course. I mean, a song about a, a serial killer. The Island of Domination. I mean, uh, Halford is beginning to. Um, really shine as a lyricist and and take you some places that are fan fantastical and probably personal. Um, I think that uh, Dreamer Deceiver, the old man sitting there, his head bowed down every now and then. Take a look around, and his eyes reflect memories, pain of years old. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, the point is, is like that's so dramatic, but that's not on a Black Sabbath record. Yeah, and you're gonna hear that stuff again on other records that. Before the dawn is kind of like, you know, the, the ballads that priests were writing, I feel like they were really just writing whatever songs that made them feel good. But secretly, I really do feel like, well, it's not a secret, obviously. They really wanted to be a metal band. Absolutely. Um, but the term was still almost not, you know. It's almost like the, the songs came before they could figure out the production end of it. Right, and it, and it, heavy metal thunder is a lyric uh, written by you know Mars Bonfire, the Steppenwolf, right? Yeah, John K and them. At least that's what everyone says is the first the, the beginnings of that terminology, right? Well, yeah, and it's and it's sort of setting a tone because Born to Be Wild is is you know I mean it's a rock and roll song, but it's also the attitude of what metal kind of ended up being and like saxon even heavy metal thunder is a song you know saxon sort of borrowed that and made it a metal song right so anyway i'm getting excited here <laughs> um, that's why i did this I think, I, I think sad wings is a beautiful record uh from okay. top to bottom and uh um i, I think that killers is because it's later in the in the you know it came you know years a couple few years later once again still has uh kind of a, all the winning punches because of technology and uh things like that but i think that by the time you heard the songs from sad wings on hellbent for leather 
And by the way, Judas Priest had already heard the debut Iron Maiden record. They knew, they yep. knew they had to do. They knew what what was going on, but maybe the engineers and the producers they were working with, the the recording budgets they had, they were a working band. They they had a van. They were driving all over hell and back, playing at pubs and shit. They were trying really hard. They were working. They were working. Uh, and this is this is a, even a few years before Iron Maiden was working, right? So they're trying to figure it out. Um, but Sad Wings of Destiny has uh, has the elements of, like I said, and and just to be fair, by the time that they played them live, those songs were faster. The by that time, the amps had a little more crunch. Uh, they had gone through like four drummers or three drummers by then. It was really a spinal, spinal yeah. tap thing, you know. Level. Yeah, uh, John Hinch, Al Allen Atkins, and John Hinch. Yeah, uh, you know, between Rockarola and and uh, of Destiny. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think that even though I really love Killers, um, uh, holy crap, <laughs> Genghis Khan, uh, oh, it's a problem, isn't it? Oh my god, <laughs> it's really sick. I, I mean, uh, holy moly. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of the one I think I think I knew was sort of going to give you guys a little bit of a, a, a well, yeah, a, a speed bump. Yeah, it's almost like the, these are these are two records that are I want to shed tears. You know, the they're very emotional moments for me as a rock and roll fan. Yeah, just to 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 be there when these records were still fairly new or brand new. Right, the Killers was a brand new record. Um, I was already, you know, an Iron Maiden fan. Uh, 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 Sad Wings, I had to go backwards from Unleashed in the East and and pick, and pick up, you know, all of those other records because there's like freaking four of them before that. You know, there's rock, there's rock and roll, just cause, just because, and then. And but you know you got hell bent, you got sin after sin, you got sad wings. Just stop right there. I don't even need anything else. Iron who? You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I gotta, I gotta say, I, I can't, I can't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> even though I love Sad Wings of Destiny, like, like it's my mom. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. I mean, Paul Diano, Paul Diano is like a genesis of something. I think that he's like a Bon Scott. Yeah, he's like this guy hanging out on the corner that'll go play a game of pool with you, and he y'all just met with a switch made in his pocket. He's just this yeah. guy, you know. He's just a, smoking cigarettes and drinking shitty beer, wearing a leather jacket and tennis shoes. And he'll stay up and party with you all night. <laughs> Bruce Dickinson is not that. Right. Not at all. 
he's like a ballet dancer that you want to hang out with. <laughs> Diano definitely had a lot of uh, a definitely a dangerous air to him, sort of like uh, Peter Chris, uh, you know, in, in the first yeah. few years, like where you didn't really you didn't really want to mess with them and uh, or at least piss yeah. them off. If I'm if if I'm being honest, yeah. There's there's some demon there's some demons just like uh, Bon Scott had some demons. Yeah things like that and they they obviously caught up to bond and and uh and well aunt shit you can say they caught up to paul too um, yeah and i i mean no disrespect to bruce dickinson i think he is a superhuman he is probably sounds better now than he ever had and that's arguable but it's pretty unbelievable what bruce dickinson has done for and with iron maiden i really think uh, like kind of a sort of a you know it's like i'm steve harris and i'm struggling with my singer and i'm looking over at samson <laughs> bruce, bruce. samson and it's like hey there's bruce over there man he sounded really really good this is going to be easier than i thought <laughs> that's what i think steve actually third eye kind of wide open going hmm yeah i see this coming mm-hmm and Bruce is like, just keep them warm for me. Yeah. Keep them warm for me. Yeah. Well, Bruce has gone on record saying uh, how much he liked Maiden. He was, he was watching them from afar. Well, that's what, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I like interviews and stuff where Bruce goes, all right, I'll be your singer, but I've got my own ideas. <laughs> you know, and boy, boy did he. Because yeah. I, I think yeah. he was... I mean, I'll give him the credit. He's a better lyricist. I think he's more of a swashbuckling pirate, good-looking pirate kind of a guy, and and Paul didn't stand a chance. But right. there is something about the guy that will play pool with you all night long and buy you beer all night long, which is not Bruce. That's true. Just on, just on a on – a, just when you see two guys walking down the street. Right. right. Yeah. I'm going with Sad Wings of Destiny. All right. I was hoping we could stretch that out long enough to where a point where you would come to an answer on that one because I didn't know if you'd pick one. Sorry, it I took really so long. Didn't know. I had I had to get I had to go deep and, and it doesn't matter. Uh, both of those records are Jason's absolutely one hundred percent on the target. I was obsessed with Killers far before I even got into Sadly's Destiny. You know, so well, yeah. see, there's, there's that too, and it's the That's older just, it's oh, the older oh. record, and it just took yeah. you a second. Exactly. You know. So let me ask you, and I'll ask you, Jason. Um, do you think it uh, Maiden had a bigger evolution over their first two albums than Priest did, or do you think Priest sort of wins the evolution battle over the, the course of their first two albums? Um, well, I think that Priest's first two albums uh, are not night and day. I think that their earliest songs were just not quite ready to come out of the oven. And I think Sad Wings of Destiny, it just like what Glenn Tipton had decided, you know, what, what he decided was going to be Judas Priest music didn't really like uh, become solid until, until Sad Wings, which is, you know, I think they were writing Sad Wings material while they were recording Rockarola. Probably. But I think that it was this this like sort of like uh 
the candle was brand new on Rockerola and it hadn't melted into this like vision yet. Terrible metaphor, but <laughs> they had to age a little bit. The wine didn't taste right. Hey, I got a bottle of wine. Well, this isn't going to taste good until another year from now. It was still in gas form. It hadn't actually solidified yet. You know? mm-hmm. Sure. I'm sure. But uh, you know, once again, just want to be a, a nerd and, and, and say that, you know, Stoney, if you were into, this is another time frame issue that uh, if Stoney's obsessed with killers, yeah. well, well, Sad Wings was, you know, came out way back there. Yeah. So he had to work his way back into it anyway. Exactly. Uh, and that's that's completely fair. But by the time and 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 dude, Stony chose Sad Wings over Killers. And even well, though it's songwriting, I mean everything else, Killers pretty much knocks it, knocks it on its ass. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree I agree with you. But still, Sad Wings was still cooking. Oh, it wasn't quite wasn't quite to taste yet. Right, but I still, you know, probably those songs, those handful of songs on on Sad Wings is are probably better than anything in a songwriting capability than Killers has. Probably, you know, I think they're a little better. Oh song man, than. that's yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe with melody and stuff. Just the song itself, not not that the production's off compared to Killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Energy's not where Killers is, and, and Killers is well, Killer. Right, but uh, well, it's killer. off the hook. Killers is a, like a once again, it's got that punk rock energy. It's oh, like yeah. it's like crazy. There's a bunch of you know, it's like prog. It's like prog metal. Before it, it's a little proggy. Before they put prog and metal together, I mean, you know, but you know, that's a different conversation. You know, twenty one twelve had already been out since seventy six. <laughs> So. And I think Steve, I think Steve Harris, I think, you know, the guys in Maiden had definitely said that it was it was sort of like a they wanted to have that band as a as a counter to the punk that punk scene that had been sort of rising at the time. And 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 kind of crazy how I still feel as someone who really liked punk rock a lot as myself, I still I really do feel like those first couple albums from Maiden are very punk rocky and and just super choppy. And like you said, all over the place and not really caring too much Uh uh, you can sort of sort of hear the attitude in, in Diano's voice where he's like, we're going to do what we're going to do and, you know, break the mold if you were. But uh, I like it that Maiden did a bunch of a bunch of like old weird cover songs, too. Yeah. Women in uniform and stuff like that. Yep. That's Just the truth. Later on, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't really know who I don't know. I think we tied on that round, but it doesn't really matter again. This, this isn't really going anywhere other than uh, other no, than possibly. It's a roundtable. It's a great discussion about our love for these records. I just exactly. wish, which I just wish Ken had more love for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Ken was. I'm I remember gonna, when we were talking about this. Ken was like, "I think I'm just going to be sitting back on this." I'm like, "No, you've got opinions on this. We know this." I, I may have opinions, but I'm also much more interested in yours. So to me, I just feel like I, I got what I got to say. But man, yeah, I, I could be a fly on the wall and be just be, just be just as happy right now. Awesome. I'm going to throw a weird curveball at you real quick, Jason. Uh, we had one of the last episodes that we did of uh, the Casually Serious podcast. What did was uh, it was titled "Did Grunge Kill Glam Rock?" And we were sort of looking at a couple different publications online, and 
looking at lists of what people consider to be grunge, which is obviously a very small group of bands compared to what people thought glam were. And Dangerous Toys popped up on a lot of those. Um, nice. <laughs> I had to do it. This uh, is signed by Derek uh, Riggs. Oh, my God. Yeah, two Jason, all the best, Derek Riggs, and then the one up above Eddie's head is... Uh, Paul? Someone named Paul Diano. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, that um, was sick. Do you have what, any? Do you do you think it is fair that people uh, oh, say like dangerous? That. What? Oh, is that what you just paid seven hundred ninety dollars for? Right. No. <laughs> oh, just kidding. <laughs> Man, that's pretty. Sorry for the glare. Hundred ninety gram vinyl. Uh, so, do you do you think it's a fair assessment that people would say dangerous toys would be considered a glam band? Well. I think that uh, you know the the media decided what what box to put bands in and mu and styles of music in. I don't think the bands or the fans had a freaking chance. Yeah. To sort of assess what kind of music it is. I've heard Dangerous Toys called sleaze. I've heard it called uh, hard rock. I've heard it called heavy metal. I've heard it called hard or you know rock and roll. Uh, I've heard it called. This is this is not my favorite moniker, but hair metal. Uh, I've heard it called. You know, and people lumped it in with with whatever was easier for them to not have to explain to their parents, their teachers, their other friends. Oh, you like hair metal? Oh, you love Dangerous Toys? It's like they didn't say. No, wait a minute. I know you like hair metal, but this is a little bit different. A little dirtier, a little faster, a little edgier, a little more metal maybe, but yet still rock and roll because it has all the boogie-woogie. It had the Texas in it, you know. Yeah. It had a little bit. I feel like the, the toys sounded um, different than Pussycat and, and Warrant and L.A. Guns and even Guns N' Roses. Um, even though the comparisons were uh, going to be there because I have red hair, tattoos, and I sing high. <laughs> so, all right, yeah, I think that grunge, once again, like hair metal, is a term that a journalist pundit came up with. I'm not mad at those guys, but I feel like it's something to call a kind of music that somebody else might not know what to call it other than rock and roll and what the fuck is wrong with rock and roll that's what yeah. i feel like a lot of a lot of bands i mean musicians don't go out saying hey i'm going to be the greatest classic rock band ever i'm going to be right. the greatest grunge rock band ever like that right. that doesn't happen for musicians for you guys so you're right it's totally a media thing and it's how it gets played out like you guys were talking about earlier about the radio in Texas, we weren't getting that in South Florida. I'm just telling you, we those bands weren't played on the radio in South Florida that you guys were speaking it's, about well, earlier. Especially, especially in the uh, the early to mid 70s. Right. That's right. when that was happening. Exactly. You know, the first Rush album, the first Kiss album, first it was being played on the fucking radio. Right. Right. Because someone heard it and fell in love with it and decided I'm I'm a DJ and I'm going to play this. I don't care what anyone says and it obviously it worked and you were allowed to do that djs actually had free range that's to right. actually choose the music themselves that's back then nobody right. knows of that today that's just that's not the way right. it works anymore right. it's all business and it's all decided ahead of time right 
But that goes to your point that at the end of the day, it is, it's the media that's yeah. the one that's categorizing all of this and making up these types of headlines and, and now these battles and pointing who belongs where with music. But at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be up to us. It's going to be the fans that are going to decide right. what they like. You know, and the point right. about, to me, Dangerous Toys is actually a, a perfect example. Bob and I were speaking the, the last week's show ahead, uh, before we went on the air, and that was actually a band I brought up. I mean, before I even knew you were going to have any part to do with this, I, I actually brought that band up saying, well, there was a band that I would see a video or whatever and be like, I like this. This is this is better. <laughs> this is better than than what what is being brought to us right now. And I appreciated it. And it was a different. It was a different sound. And it was something that I think some fans needed at that time. Even though we had this other music kind of coming into play around that same time. Right. I feel like um you know the class of '89, um, which is just what I would call you know a, an era that you know was still conjuring uh, a certain type of a thing um you had you had the toys but you had junkyard and circus of power and rhino bucket and wow. and bang bang tango and bang and, tango and then you had la guns and faster pussycat and then of course um the the big kids uh, guns and roses but i mean did I even say Motley Crue or Twisted Sister or you know, see what I'm trying to say? So right, there, was, right. there was this class of 89, 90 that was all this, you know, and Circus of Power and, and Raging Slab and 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 Bang Tango and, and Dangerous Toys and Junkyard and Rhino Bucket. Those are different. Mm -hmm. yes, those they are. are different than the other guys. A lot I, didn't, yeah. I didn't say Wayne sure. and I didn't say, you know, there's a bunch of white lion. See what I'm trying to All say? All the W's. There's the, I call them the W's because wow. there's a whole bunch of them. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. The wingers and the whites and the, yeah. White lion, winger, white snake. White, I mean, you got a whole bunch of them. Warren, they just yeah, keep well, going. Well, we, 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 yeah, later white snake. I see, I see what you mean. Right. I was about to get, I was about to pull, <laughs> pull a professor move on you. Now, hold on, Coverdale was in deep purple. We can't, yes, right. that's, yes. a, different, that's yeah. a different kind Coverdale of Coverdale is another one of those transcending musicians, I think, yeah, also that, through that because of what a, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I think that, you know, and, and then I'll finish with this. I feel like you were saying it's it's us, it's the fans, and and uh, and you're exactly right. And that's all that matters is if you like it, not right. if 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 uh, somebody's telling you you're going to like this, or if the media, by God, is telling you that you're going to like it. Now, here's my point: when the wind blows, the dollar bill, and everyone's running after the dollar bill, this is the, just business. Right. That's just how that goes. The yeah. dollar bills going a different way. Okay, well, was Nirvana trying to like kill hair metal? No, <laughs> they were not trying to kill anything. They were trying to write good songs, and they did. Yeah. Mic drop. Right. <laughs> It's very bingo, true. Bingo bongo. Thanks yep. for clearing that up. If and I have, I'm also going to say that up upon those lists, besides Dangerous Toys, were also bands like Accept and Dio. So I don't really know how they decided to come up with glam or what they decided to call. I'm. Right. I understand some bands went through maybe phases like that where they could be considered glam, but uh, I just thought that was weird. So I'm glad we have you here so I could ask you that because I was just like, there's just 
again, it was it was an online publication I'm reading this from. So exactly what you just said, Jason, is the damn truth. Yeah. These yeah. were the guys dictating most of that. Glam is glam is the sweet, and David Bowie and Alex right. for shock rock is part of glam. Right. And you you could even say that a little bit of uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges kind of lean that way. Dolls and, too, right? I mean, Money Thunders and the Dolls. See, but that goes so far back. That's it like, does. Glam yeah. is just another name for something that doesn't really cover all the bases. Right. So No, because the music that they considered to be, which actually was the beginning of glam rock back in the 70s, was nowhere really near what was happening, what they called it later on in the 80s or, yeah. or anything that like English, that. That a, English glitz rock, they would, yeah. they would call it. At yeah, one gl point. yeah right. glitter rock. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh Gary, geez. Well, here we go. Let's try uh let's try another one, guys. What the hell? Since right. we're <laughs> since we're we're stumping each other on this, let's see what we've got for the uh for the third battle in the impossible legends battle. The number of the beast versus British steel. Yeah, here's an easy one again, huh? <laughs> Not. Nice. Hi, what are you trying to do to us, man? Exactly. This, hold on a second. This shit doesn't work. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. This, <laughs> I don't get it's it. Uncalled for. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's unnecessary, but look, this is this is not gonna it shouldn't be any different than 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 Bob coming over and knocking on your door with a dube in his mouth saying, Let's talk about these bands and see who's better. Like that but might you, have happened 30 years ago. Would you say the the impossible would you say? The impossible legends battle. That's right. That's it, yeah, it's what it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think I don't think I started this thinking there would be a winner here. It's we're just gonna go for a number and figure out what, what the I, hell I that's love, gonna take. I ab absolutely love that those words together. Impossible legend. Yeah, yes. It's it's so that's so metal. Well, it's, you know, I next release, huh? Maybe. We're talking about some some uh, a couple of pretty crazy. Like I said, the comparison here is going to be tough. And and when I went and and again had to sort of listen to more of the songs off of these albums that I might not have heard recently over and over again. Um, I pulled a couple of favorites from um, British Steel, and I don't know, really, I'm anxious to hear what you guys think. I pulled two songs, and again, I said I was only going to take two. Uh, Number of the Beast is easier for me, but off of British Steel, I went with Rapid Fire, and you don't have to be old to be wise. Um I, I, I kept, I, like I said, I'm listening to these albums, and I'm going to go back to a few that I keep playing whether it's riffage, the heaviness, because I think someone like me, as I started getting older and listening to these bands, I wanted something heavier or maybe even louder or maybe more creepier or intense or something, but there needed to be something sort of heavier and more meaningful or melodic about it. And I found that on British Steel and I definitely found it obviously on Number of the Beast, which I came off, uh, I came out with the prisoner and hallowed as my favorites from those. So um, this one actually, if I'm being honest, was a little tighter than I thought it would be coming in here as a pretty big maiden fan. When I heard you don't have to be old to be wise. I was like, this is pretty badass, dude. Like, hmm. you know, we're starting to hear some, some things where I uh, I'm starting to recognize as Judas priest, as I know, Judas priest um, number of the beast, obviously we're talking about Dickinson coming in and doing some crazy shit and, and, and just kind of blowing everybody away. Um, I myself, I'm just going to give it to uh, Maiden on this one. Ken, man, how about yourself? What do you think? 
All right. Well, you know, th this one definitely, British Steel was the album that when I did go back and kind of check Judas Priest out a little bit more, working backwards as well, uh, was the album that caught my eye for sure, it, my ear. And it kept me the longest and it kept me coming back the most. So uh, by far, it's my favorite Priest album. Uh, but unfortunately, in this battle, you've picked my absolute favorite Maiden album. So I, I just, it, this is, this is a, you know, a no-brainer for me, unfortunately. I think British Steel would have beat the first two albums from Maiden for me, for sure. Um, but it's not, unfortunately, going to be able to beat Beast. So I'm taking Beast on this one. I like you, Ken. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's, that's very well put. Yeah. Appreciate it. I was extremely surprised with these, you know, as uh, having to revisit Priest to get on these. Um, again, that's why I asked that question about the evolution, because in my opinion, I feel like there was such a massive evolution in the sound of Priest going along up until the point where we know Priest sound sort of was. Uh, then there is sort of in Maiden, I think Maiden, even though there is a, definitely a change in some of it, the approach was to just maybe get someone that sang a little a lot better than Diano, and obviously the operatic range of Dickinson is what they they were met with. But uh, I just feel like Priest went through this bigger, just bigger evolution, in my opinion. Uh, I was this close to taking that album, man, but I just heard Beast so much that I think it just won based on how many times I heard them. So, uh, Stony, what say you? It's like family, yeah, Beast. Um, well, first of all, before we move on, hat tip to Jason and Dangerous Toys. That debut album, we were listening to it uh, back on the border, even before I ever moved here, man, at keg parties, and uh, it's 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 called good stuff, by the way. Thanks. It's a it's it's a it's a keg party record. Absolutely, and a lot of beers were hoisted to that as well. <laughs> Perfect. Going back to the impossible, you know, legends battle. <sighs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna say fucking Stony the bass player. This is I love it. I love it. I, I this is what I wanted to see. I'm not gonna take Mr. McMaster by by surprise at all. But you guys, you two guys might might find it weird. I was already a big Priest fan before British Steel came out because of a uh, I got into Unleashed in the East, Stained Class, Hellbent for Leather, or Killing Machine. Uh, same, 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 same. And they had a drummer named Les Binks. So we've basically skipped all these Priest albums going into British Steel here, which is, you know, you got to, right? But uh, he was a really organic-sounding drummer and gave Priest a whole different sound on the, on the three albums leading up to British Steel. So when I actually first heard British Steel, I was kind of let down. The air kind of went out of my cell because it was really straightforward and dry, you know? And uh, compared to what Les Binks had been doing with them. So, uh, you know, I love it, obviously, all these years later. Number of the Beast is uh, just too powerful. Um, I, I have to go with Beast. So. You're going with the Beast. Is there, any, is there any songs off of that album you liked playing the most with Drifter? Hallowed Be Thy Name. It was always fun. That was always a real fun. Plus, it was the last song, so... <laughs> Amp hadn't cut out by that point. You could have a lot of. <laughs> I remember. I remember Homer preparing for that song on a couple occasions. Uh, so yeah, I believe that one hundred percent. That's a tough one, man. That's a real tough song, man. Like, wow. Uh, All right. Yeah, number the beast. <laughs> you know, that's fine. 
how much, no matter how much. <laughs> I got to go now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to see Jason turn red. Jason, what say you, my brother? Um, I think half of beast watchtower covered. We, we covered okay. about half that record. We did, uh, we did hallowed. We did number. We did invaders. Uh, we did, uh, thank you. I've got you. the set list right here. Yeah. 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 That's going to help. <laughs> we did run. We did run. We did gangland. We did, uh, I think we did the prisoner. Nice. Great job. Uh, we, yeah, we did over half the record. Um, um this sucks <laughs> but i will you know the first band i was ever in like i said earlier i was a bass player we we all we did all like pretty much the entire record of british deal um you know with les binks and and even uh simon phillips where where priest had these well simon phillips being like only 15 years old when he recorded sin after sin with judas priest wow it's pretty mind blowing because you listen to sin after sin and you're going, this drummer's 15 years old. That's mind-blowing. He's doing like the exciter stuff before Les Binks was. I think Priest heard Simon Phillips, which is a kid they just met from the studio because they didn't have a drummer. You know, like the session, the, the engineer was like, I think I got a guy that can play this and he shows up and they he starts learning the material. They're like, what? You know, so then it's like, oh, obviously we need a drummer that plays like that. And Simon didn't want to tour with them. So they found Les Binks. And Stoney, you're exactly right uh, with what was happening with Priest and, and how like uh, progressive they were uh, with, with a drummer that was... Um, just more over the top with uh, it, it, it made them feel like they were part of the uh, Deep Purple family all of a sudden in the way that Deep Purple wrote uh, classic, giant, epic rock and roll songs. Uh, Les Binks played on uh, uh, Stained Class. Hellbent for Leather and Unleashed in the East. Did I miss anything? That's it. That's it. That's right. Damn. Very very short lived. And uh, Bob, you keep mentioning this. Uh, uh, what's the word you're using? Uh, not transition, but uh, transformation. Yes. Uh, like uh, they're they're becoming, they are becoming Judas Priest over this period of time. And uh, Iron Maiden, I think, just they discovered a gold mine in Bruce Dickinson by way of really becoming way more dramatic and over the top, having Bruce as their singer. Now, the material, I think, Wrath, I think, Wrath Child being a song that Iron Maiden is always going to do live with Bruce. Why do I love? Diano's version better. Why? Raw. Just raw. But it's, it's awesome. a such a weird is it because it's a hey man, that's that's Paul's song, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it I, could be. I, I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. 
rooting for Paul on that. Right. Anyway, right. Paul, Paul has but, a, something in his voice that's a characteristic that Bruce doesn't have. Obviously, Bruce has a hundred other ones that Paul doesn't have. Well, but, uh, right. Right. Paul's voice, I always thought too. He has that weird voice thing, sort of like where when Gene goes, no, like that little sort of high thing. It's almost the same as Diano, man. I, I've heard sort of a similarity in that. So I think you're right on that. There's there's a little, there's definitely trademark in his voice for sure. Well, he was the voice of Iron Maiden until he wasn't. Yeah. And obviously now Bruce Dickinson is all everybody knows because there's people who say they love Iron Maiden and you're and you're going, oh, I like Paul better. And they're like, what? Oh. Who's that? And it's terrible when that happens. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like when people at the Kiss concert don't know that that's not Ace and Peter. It's the same uh. thing to me. Yeah. I see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same reaction. So what to do, what to do, what to do. So Dave Holland comes in and changes priest and the way that they here you go here's a word for you priest had finally become fully americanized yep americanized uh, okay. being that they were more welcome on american soil than ever because of the material on british steel right. they had a song that they could play on the radio and not just on 99.5 kiss Right. They had, they had plur more than one song that they could play on the radio that, uh, you know, that, you know, mom could enjoy. Live in after me. It's huge. It is huge. Rob it is. Yeah. Rob talks about it in his book about how, you know, I think Glenn was playing, you know, checking out some amplifiers. You know, he was just working on tones or something and he's playing that that he's just playing those chords the e the d the a the b right and what the hell you know and there you know rob carried around this thesaurus with him all the time and i think that it was he was downstairs they were at uh ringo star's house making that record and he goes downstairs Hey man, I'm trying to sleep, Rob. Hey man, I'm trying to sleep. What are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. You were you were sleeping. Uh, yeah, it's it's after midnight. You're down here living after midnight, something like that. And they both look at each other. Man, that's the title for a song. And then the next morning, they they figured it out, and the by the end of the day, the song was recorded. So that's kind of how that happens. There's all these beautiful things about British Steel that I'm going to continue to learn that make me love the record. Um, I think that Metallica, uh, the songs on Kill Em All, probably uh, probably the, the thrash part in the middle of Seek and Destroy. It just reminds me of, you know, Rapid Fire, uh, so much All right. I feel like there's not a chance in hell that people would know thrash metal at all without songs. I'm going to British Steel. I'm going to British Steel. It sucks. It sucks that I do that because I wore Beast out. 
I covered I I covered the whole record when I was a kid of British Steel, and I because guess what? It's the same answer I've been given all night. Beast wasn't out yet. Damn. Well, you know another thing too about that this this album cover, man, is it's sort of that. <clears throat> it's obviously we know the badassness of it now, and and I've seen everything from shit some hip hop to new wave using this in either an advertisement form or some form trying to you know obviously to uh you know get a little bit of more views or whatever they would get off of it but it's such an iconic album cover and i think i remember seeing it so many times before i even heard the album or not, even knew what songs to put on it it's not just iconic it's perfect you know, it's yeah. a perfect album cover. It really is. Originally, it had originally they had blood dripping down the fingers. That's true. It's just too much. And well, I think it would. I don't know if I want to give Rob Halford the credit, but I think that he was uh, he was talking about it in the book about how take the blood off there because that's too it's too gross. You know, it's just to use a word. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, we look, we're holding a razor blade and we're not even getting cut by the metal. Hmm. We are the metal. How can it not be hurt by the metal? Deep, deep. Uh, and I think that, you know, hell I've stole that album cover. Igniter has a covers album that we use that. How can not, man? Right? Yeah, Nick, yeah, exactly. So, but I think that uh, I really, really love uh, what Derek Riggs was doing um, by having a mascot, by giving Iron Maiden a sort of a symbol, like kind of a skull and crossbones or Motorhead's war pig, you know, or uh, he was giving Iron Maiden this, uh, you know, at one point, at one, at one side of the coin, he was, he was, uh, he was paint literally painting Iron Maiden into a corner that that's all they were going to be remembered by was that album cover. Good yeah. thing the band was kick ass. Good thing the band ruled because right. you know that those album covers were pretty badass, even if the band was terrible. Yeah. That's, that's the truth, man. Brand, really for them, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh man. So I mean, hell, if you're just going by album covers, Halloween had some pretty badass album covers. So, I mean, art alone. Yeah. Oh, there's we could go on about that all night, Mo. Yeah, right. yeah, that's that, another uh, show. That Sidewings <laughs> album cover is sick too, man. Yeah, like, right. I, yeah. I, that's and that I think it's I think it sort of fits along with sort of the epic album covers of the '70s. You know, like Blue Oyster or any of these bands were that had these epic albums. You had to have an epic cover, man. If you're gonna if you're going to try and let everybody know that what's inside there is as deep and epic as the art you have on that album cover. And that's why it was always such a thing for us growing up, being able to flip through albums and eventually maybe even tapes and stuff like that. It was a, it was a very beautiful experience and, and something I'm sad that some folks don't really have the ability to do anymore. I bought yeah. albums because of the covers when I was a kid. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I even went so far as I know I did it with Kiss all the time, but with uh, when it came to trying to draw Eddie, I had the eyes perfect. Everything else was horrible at, and there would always be trace marks on a lot of my Maiden albums because trying to go over there and, and, and I, I couldn't even trace it as good as that guy did. 
Well, as I said earlier, I really believe that. I mean, it was a it was a total influence and um, on Tommy Pons, the toys artist. But uh, not only Tommy. I mean, you're you're saying yourself you wanted to learn how to draw that just because it was so kick ass, and you're like, wow, how is that even the thing, you know? And meanwhile, there's just these guys like Derek Riggs and and many many others who are just able to come up with this sort of zombie face you know that who who knew that this little monster guy was going to be on the cover of uh of every iron maiden record and that's like you know i don't know like 30 albums 40 who knows who's counting and the subject also of pretty much all their stage shows i mean everything is basically about where's the big eddie coming out whether it's the mechanical on stage or the big guy behind somebody something's coming out yeah, and they're and they're they're using the theme of the of the art for the right. stage set too, right. which is just smart. It AC, is ACDC does that. I mean, it's just smart mm-hmm. when you're when you're that type of a brand of a band. Uh, that's kind of part of it. Pink Floyd, you know, uh, Kiss, I guess a little bit, but absolutely. And, and what, I think to... Zorlak, some of the Zorlak Metallica album art too sort of like felt a lot very very similar to some of that rig stuff as well i remember seeing that a little bit later was like right in that vein where where uh you know again album covers were still badass at the time so if you were yeah you had a badass that, album cover that's Pusshead. that's there a, we go Pusshead. thank famous, you famous uh like thank skateboard you. artist like underground punk rock artist Pusshead. i don't know the cat's real name but he's badass he made I may be wrong about this too, but it seems like he might even been the guy that uh, designed the the uh, the Misfits Ghoulie guy. I don't know. I think he has a nickname, but I, I'm I'm, on, I'm but but listen, I think that Iron Maiden and Derek Riggs influenced even Megadeth with Vic, the Rattlehead. Sure, so it's you know it, that's a mascot type of a, right. a thing. Is there I, even another band that? Took it that far. I mean, I don't think nobody's even close. Anybody's close to Iron Maiden's Eddie branding. Uh, yes, other bands have different mascots, but not uh, nowhere near to that extent. No, no. I mean, Dangerous Toys. We continue to rip that off. (laughs) It's nowhere near what. Yeah, it's not doing what Iron Maiden does. So, I guess we owe a lot to Eddie. Well, everybody does, right? Yeah, right. It adds that theatrics to the music a little bit as well for the fan, I think, which is kind of cool. I mean, bands like what The Who did it a lot too on stage with stuff that they would do. Obviously, Alice Cooper. And I mean, so I think, you know, that that does add something, um, you know, for, for the fan for sure. I mean, if it's not all about the music, sometimes it's about those stage shows too. Kiss as well. Yeah, yeah. So, sometimes. Well, we've got a, uh, the next and final battle in this, which is uh, kind of crazy that we've been we've been. I knew that we'd have this discussion for a long time, and again, the Impossible Legends battle. We're going to go with the live albums, and uh, I think I forgot which. I think maybe Priest Live was something that a lot of people chose, and then Stony was like, "Are you out of your fucking mind?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Stony, we, have uh, I ever told you how badass you are and how I love you and respect you? You don't even want to know what I think of Priest Live. You know that sounds terrible. I don't want to talk crap about my favorite band, Jews Priest, but I will talk crap about Priest Live. Mm. What a piece of hi. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It is. 
I'm going to let you know that the, the audience that I chose from wasn't exactly the biggest audience in the world. So uh, no. I don't know if maybe people were Googling or... or you didn't or do anything had. wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but but, but there's, there's just no comparison between no. Priest Live and Unleashed in the East. I, I told Bob I'm not having a discussion. I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking about Priest Live. You <laughs> put his foot down, dude. If I'm being honest, it was almost like I'm not going to be on now. How about those? Here, here, <laughs> well, here, here's... Here, 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 here's Bob. He's like St Stony is calling Bob. Bob, are you okay? Yeah. Uh, hey, Bob, it's Stony. Yeah, we need to have an intervention. Yeah, exactly. Quick, something, <laughs> something is very wrong, and I want to have a sit down with you just to make sure you're okay. Right. There is no way to tell inflection over text messages, but I got right away what Stony was saying, <laughs> and, and and it was really. I think it was really like. I don't even know what the hell you said. I, maybe are you serious or really or something? And I, oh, I Stony enough. Where, oh, where that's perfect. Like, as, as long, right. He didn't even have to use an f bomb. I think I would. You had to use an f bomb in there. Not even like so to the point where the intro video was already made, and I just had to make another one. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That is excellent. I already know who's gonna win. All right. Well, let's see exactly what we decided. We obviously we decided not to go with. Uh, with uh, Priest Live, and uh, this was the live battle we went with. Live After Death versus Unleashed in the East. Now I'm going to go back and listen to Priest Live, if I'm being honest. It's just, uh, we're going <laughs> to, I'm just going to have to go hear it. I, I have a question because I, I just don't really remember because it's not in my collection. Priest Live. Is that song parental guidance on that record? It is. Great question. You don't know if it is, Tony? No. I've never listened to that album ever. <laughs> I, I love you, Stoney. I love you. I've never. Well, no wonder you album. didn't want it. No wonder you didn't I want it to be in the final battle because you you don't even you think it stinks. Ooh, what is this record? <laughs> yeah, I've never bought that or, or listened to it ever. So, right. yeah, I just know it. I looked at the song, you know, the the, the track listing one time. And I was sure. Just, uh, no. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, that's enough to make you like what? And who farted? <laughs> no reason why parental guidance or uh, private property should be played. What is what's going? It should be played. Oh my god! Are those on? This is a stab at Ken. Aren't those on Turbo? <laughs> <laughs> they are, aren't they? they Down and Turbo. <laughs> <laughs> that's a stab at, at ken there yes yes it is yes it is it was inevitable ken i'm Don't sorry so i should have kept my mouth shut no, <laughs> it's, it's, so listen, i can't help but reference how badass uh and and say how badass this uh this judas priest i'm sorry this this book right here is <clears throat> halford oh. confess yeah uh he's He's going through a whole lot of things personally when they are recording Turbo. Really? Not happy at all personally. Mm. Like bad things. He does bad things to himself. Oh, man. He is un yeah, it's like, it's like, it's almost, oh, you had to do it. 
<laughs> well, you wanted you wanted to know the songs that were on there, so I, oh. I, I have for you. Uh, okay, well, okay, let's see. One, oh. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's eleven songs out of uh, out of sixteen. I'll take any day. What is shout? Is that not bad? Not bad. I don't yeah. know. Let's yeah, gross. What is shout? that? <laughs> yeah, shout, you never heard shout? Oh yeah, come on, dude. Never heard of it ever. <laughs> I don't even know what album that's on it because it's not a real song. It's just like we got to make this thing bigger. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do this, paddle, Bob. There's some good songs on there. You know, Alvin the Cold's a, a really cool tune. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now, we've we we've got a obviously this is a little bit more of a battle here. Um, on on the Unleashed on the East Side, uh, I love the uh, live versions of Running Wild, Diamonds and Rust, um, or two those two songs in particular that I pulled off of that one. Oh yeah, Bob, I had to stop you right there. Thank you. You said um, <laughs> Unleashed on the East Side. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I like it. Okay, so reshoot the Saddlewings tribute band we have. We should reshoot the cover and call it Unleashed on the East Side. I told him a couple of years ago. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Unleashed on the East Side. We need to rewrite right. that, that cover. Hell yeah! <laughs> I don't want ten percent. All I ask for. Jason at the time, but uh, <laughs> I can't believe Bob just said that. Blues blows my mind. <laughs> What's we, funny is that I think maybe as as much as I would say I'm more of a Maiden fan than a Priest fan, I'm taking uh, I'm taking Priest on this one, and really? I am I am I I think overall I think for some reason I I don't really know what it was whether it was I was getting into different kinds of music and punk and stuff like that I I just wound up hearing this a little bit more than I heard Live After Death I think I think I saw the album cover for Live After Death way more than I saw the album cover for Unleashed from the East or what did I say um, I think I saw that more but I, I just there was something about that album that I came out of it thinking it just sounded better I liked it better so I'm I'm taking Priest in this live battle right now for this for this live album Ken man what say you nice. uh, well once again I mean. You're taking my favorite band and you're taking their best of album and you're putting it against anything. So honestly, it's just, it's, it's not, and no disrespect to priest at all. This is a spectacular album and one that I am going to listen to a lot more now that I got a chance to listen to it a little more this past week. So, so for that, thanks. I appreciate that part of it, but I'm sticking with live after that. Cool. It's a double album set. I mean, yeah. it's crazy the songs that are on there. Right. <clears throat> did right. Paul would... come out? Did Paul come out and sing his songs? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it did, oh! It didn't uh, happen. I, I guess I was kidding there. <laughs> they, didn't have, uh, they didn't have like a, a Black Sabbath Ozzy deal like Ozzy did, where he could only release a live album with Black Sabbath songs on it. That would be uh, that'd be crazy. Right. Stone Man, let's hear what you have to say about Live After Death versus Unleashed. All right, here's what I have to say, man. <laughs> I like that, dude. Uh, what is this? It feels like we're on one of those 70s game shows, man, where you put up your yeah, number. Hold up the card. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, I feel like home now. Yeah. Uh, Ken, you're right. I mean, Live After Death has its double album, for one thing. Mm-hmm got all the good stuff you want you know 
It's a great album. Obviously, it's an awesome live album. But this one has a fucking motorcycle on the <laughs> back. That's more metal than anything on fucking Light After Death. Oh man. No, absolutely. I'm just joking, but this this album <laughs> is the metal bible of of pure metal live albums came out six years before Light After Death. And yeah. this uh, single, yeah, you know, you, it leaves you wanting more so you never have fatigue. It's very, very metal. Um I just gotta I gotta take it hands down. Uh just the energy in it and uh it's there really wasn't anything like it before uh in live albums that that heavy metal you know and unapologetic for it um i love maiden obviously obviously but uh no unleashed in the east and that's all you really needed to me i mean that's that's what turned me into the a, a huge priest fan is unleashed in the east did uh it's a damn good one jason yeah. how about you my friend well, <clears throat> let's talk about Live After Death real quick. Live After Death is probably, I don't know the lore of how it was recorded, where it was recorded. Um, I don't know if it was uh, over of, of a series of shows. Uh, I know that Unleashed in the East was recorded between. They took the the best of you know recordings between two different shows and made made one record out of it. They they had enough that probably they could have done a a, a third side, but not a double album kind of a thing. Because um, I I've heard tracks that were recorded from the same two Japanese shows. Uh, Hellbent for Leather and Delivering the Goods, I think, and one more song I, I, it's escaping me at the moment. Starbreaker, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. Uh, good. Look at Stone. <laughs> uh, so, oh, that, does this have the bonus tracks on it? Sure does. There you go. So mm -hmm. CD does, but the vinyl, the vinyl didn't, they didn't fit. That's what it was. Exactly. Rock Forever, Delivering the Goods, Hellbent, and Starbreaker. Yeah, thank you for that. Now, yeah. um, Life After Death is probably, like I said, I don't know the the, the truth. It, it's it's actually, just real quick to let you know, it's Long Beach Arena and in Hammersmith is, is everything from, from Life After Death. I've played both of those venues. Right. Oh, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Sick. So, so it. I'm just gonna it, go sit in the corner now, and you know. <laughs> we all are, Stony. It's not just we, you. Forget about it. Yeah, your corner is cooler than my corner. I'm gonna give Iron Maiden the uh, uh, a a bit of a coin here by saying um, the record is probably really truly live. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God, what's Jason gonna say about Unleashed in the East now? <laughs> so. Uh, it looks like, you know, it's a greatest hits. There's probably about 15 songs on that, you know, between the two, the double live, uh, live after death that, that I love, uh, dearly, um, you know, Paul songs and Bruce songs. Um, and even though I know it to be true that Rob re- recorded the vocals 
on Unleashed in the East. None of the vocals on Unleashed in the East are live. So they went to Tokyo. They Rob had been having some problems with his voice and he he knew they were recording but you know what's he what what are you going to do? You got to work, right? So they do those two shows knowing that they recorded those <clears throat> and uh new you know it's like man i don't even want to hear it you know my vocals are just going to be naff so they they you know they recorded those two they're on a plane to the next thing right they're going back to america or something you know they had to they're on tour so they split and you know and i think that it's somewhere in the book rob saying something like you know or he, he's either physically verbally saying it uh, don't do anything with the, with those recordings because my voice is terrible on those and uh, you know making sure they didn't like go ahead and mix them and just throw them out there you know because that could have fucking happened mm -hmm. um but it didn't obviously so they you know then later on in the book they he comes back and he's talking about finally had time to get into a studio and listen to the tracks and i knew i was right the whole time my voice sounded weathered and i sounded tired and you know i it just i was just it just i was cracking it was awful and so he literally looks at the engineer it might have been tom allen who produced a bunch of their albums it was and um he says, uh, I'm going to plug in a mic and go in the next room and just feed me some headphones and I'll just cut a, a whole new take right now on every song. So it's one take. I don't know if it's continuous all the way through. Surely not. Because he's doing mixes of each song. He's, you know, they're, they're, they're tweaking each song, not, not, a, not as a whole, right? So he cuts a, a fresh vocal, just one vocal track all the way through. And I got to tell you, this is where I was really going. I'm glad he did, because when you listen to his voice on that, it is so raw and so good and so natural sounding, even though they've got shit tons of delay all over the place on that. Unleashing in the East, like, is one of the greatest moments in hard rock history. Yep. Here's, here's, here's the things that they were probably worried about. Obviously Rob is bummed out because it was supposed to be a big secret and Rob let the secret out by accident on a radio interview and his band got mad at him. It was supposed oh, to be man. a secret that it, he, <laughs> that he re recorded all the vocals. Everything else is live though. Yeah. The whole band's live. So. Yeah. Here's here's another thing that I feel like uh, I don't know for sure, uh, but I feel like you know imagine that we're we're the guys in Judas Priest and we're going, hey man don't don't you think we played that shit too fast? <laughs> don't you think? I mean, the shit's fast. Yeah, it's when all you, when you <laughs> yeah when you compare genocide and tyrant to the Sad Wings of Destiny versions, holy moly, they're on speed. Black and white, right? Yeah, they're going wacko on those songs, just yeah. just tempo wise, and that's not really normal. I mean, you get excited, you go there, you play too fast, you know. It's like sometimes, uh, you know, my bands will record live, and I'll 
oh man, I want I can't wait to hear the, you, you know, watch the show video or listen to the, the audio that we recorded tonight. And I'm going, nope, can't use it. Played everything too fast. Got too excited. Yep. Happened a hundred times because you get up there, you get all excited, you know? So I'm going with unleashed in the East fellas. All right. All right. Even though it's not really live, still going with it. <laughs> That's it right. Every, my, every my whole it changed my life. With that being said, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know the ins and outs of the production. How much life after death may have been tinkered with? I don't know that. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I know that. But we're looking at probably ninety percent of all live albums are are tinkered with in the yeah. studio. Guilty. I mean, it's, it's the thing the fans don't want. You don't want the fans to know, and the fans almost don't want to know it. Uh, yeah. I, I remember hearing a lot later, Alive and Alive 2 from Kiss were doctored in some way. Oh, and I, how could that even be? And I mean, it was just something, look, you can't, you couldn't really get away with it a lot. Just yeah. putting a straight, raw live album out. It's just, yeah, you're either it's putting, you're either, you know, it's going to be kind of good or, or made really well. Yeah. You want to release, you know, you want to release really well, you know, and you want to release it as good as it can be. I, I don't think believe that. I doing it at all, you know. I think Strangers in the Night, and I think that All the World's a Stage. I, I want to believe, kind of like, you know, the X-Files. I, I want to believe that those records are truly live. Yeah. Yeah. Double I'm not live even going to look that up. Double Live Gonzo, I really want that truly to be live. Double you know, live Gonzo, wow! One album I think really is live, and it's Black Sabbath Live at Last <laughs> because it's pretty rough. I was, talk I was talking about that album earlier with someone, and Live at Last is, uh, you know, that was a bad manager deal. Right, like right. he owned the their old manager, like when they were managing the same guy that was managing them on the first album. You know, he he had those live tapes and he went and just they sound like they sound pretty bad and uh he released them and kept all the money so yeah, oh. no, no word no no word in the you know yeah it had nothing to do with it you know? album covers just like a whatever album cover yeah, uh, they were selling a lot of copies of heaven and hell so so he, he went ahead and just cashed in on their momentum yeah. at the time yeah yeah. Oh, cool. I might as well get this one too. You know. Yeah, they're a hot commodity. I might as well cash in now. You know. Sure. Sure. I guess the one good thing about not having a record industry is not having shitty record industry people, but it'd still be still <laughs> oh, be good to be able man. to. Man, that was that's brutal words. <laughs> but I think you're right. Yeah. One hundred percent, man. I don't know. It's it, it's even even obviously we're in a very weird time right now where no one's playing and hopefully we're going to get back to a point where people are gigging, man, because I can't freaking stand it, man. I was going to five or six concerts a year out here in Denver. Everyone comes to Denver and just having to be able to not not only having as a fan, not being able to hear the bands live, knowing that most of these bands are standing still in some way and not being able to gig, which is, you know, the lifeblood for a lot of us, a lot yeah. of the gigging bands. I mean, that's. I just hope that changes real quick, man. Yeah. For us to be able to talk about the beauty of this live, of these live albums, and then not even have the enjoyment of being able to go to a concert, man. I'm waiting for that to happen, man. Well, I wanna, I wanna say this because I, I gotta go make a late dinner here, okay? But I wanna say this first, and I, and 
maybe we can go around the room not to take charge of your show, but check this. By all means. This has been an excellent sort of round table. Like I love it that we're talking about priest and maiden that they're literally defining in the heavy metal genre and in the hard rock industry. I mean, literally to open up a, a, a history book, you will see both of these bands. There's no doubt sure. we will see both of these bands. Young people need to understand what they're listening to. Um, you know, the T-shirt they see the Kardashians wear <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's true. Uh, it doesn't matter where those assholes got that shirt and that they're the biggest poser in the world that have never had a job or had to make themselves their own sandwich. Wait, where am I taking this? My point. Know, but you're right. Yeah. yeah this is. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. This is excellent that we got to talk about these legendary uh, people and bands. And I'm extremely happy that, um, you know, most of them are still alive. Yeah. We're true. very, very lucky. And, uh, you know, all of the records that we talked about on this show um, should be uh, at least, you know, 90% of the records we should have because uh, I've given away about three copies of Live After Death. <laughs> I, I have, I, like on vinyl. And I wish, wow. I, I wish I hadn't have done that now, but I'm just being honest. It was a record that I, that I wasn't listening to. You know, I was listening to Unleashing These. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, let me know, ask you. Be here's what I was listening to. Made in Japan. Thank you. Oh, there, there it is. Wow, <laughs> dude. Yeah, that's, that's, what that's I was another looking. memorable one. Oh yeah. Damn. Here, Jason. Hold, before you take off, hold it up again, Stoney. <laughs> Look at that. Who yeah, do you have you. signing that one, Jason? Did Eddie sign that one? What is that? Oh, nice. We're, we're Twinkies. <laughs> No, no one, no one signed this one yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. What is the? Uh, I know you. I know you want to take off and get some grub, and I appreciate yeah. you coming and hanging out with us directly after work. I'm going to throw a picture up real quick, and I need to know the story behind this. Okay. Okay. So it's summer '91, and uh, Dangerous Toys. We had just released our second album, and. Uh, we had some shows booked, but it wasn't like a, um, a U.S. tour yet. And so the phone rings and uh, management says, uh, so you're going on tour with Alice Cooper, Judas Priest, Motorhead, and Metal Church, and here's your first date. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> with my band or just me? <laughs> well, no, the phone call was, uh, you know, was to the, to the band to give us the Jeez. news about the tour we're about to go on. So, so there's press day, right? So me and uh, I guess we, I think we were all in Los Angeles. Uh, some of us may have been in Salt Lake where we started that tour, but uh, me and Mark were in uh, in Hollywood at the Whiskey A Go-Go. 
and we were doing press day was I have photographs. It's me and Mark from the toys, uh, Alice Cooper and Rob Halford uh, sitting in director's chairs uh, on the stage at the whiskey with Ricky Rackman, who was doing <laughs> Headmare's Ball at the time. Wow. And uh, I don't know where, you know, Lemmy and, and anyone in Metal Church might have been, uh, but they just, they didn't make it. I guess Metal Church was still um, up in Washington State, and Lemmy lived right down the road. I don't know. He probably was sleeping. Who knows? <laughs> so anyway, um, press day, right? So, you know, there's press. They're taking pictures, and Ricky Rackman's asking some questions, and we're all talking about the tour and hamming it up a little bit and yada, yada, yada. And not not too many words were said between me and Mark to Alice or Rob because we're kind of tripping. <laughs> so <laughs> obvious obvious reasons why right? yeah. we were uh, you know Wayne and Garth you know, <laughs> you know we're not worthy. I, 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 I the ironies there is that Alice Cooper is the scene from Wayne. That's Cooper. right. <laughs> it's literally a Wayne and Garth moment. Milwaukee. Yeah, and so you know Halford's just a bonus. You know I'm not worth. I'm not worth. I'm not worthy. You know I had two <laughs> two ways to go there. Anyway, so so the, the photographers are outside. Uh, they had they had rented uh, a jeep and a tank. The name of the tour was Operation Rock and Roll because Operation Desert Storm was happening at that time, and they were trying to do it. Sounds like a weird idea. Anyway, but <laughs> that's what they were calling the tour. And uh, I guess they were trying to be metal, you know what I mean? And Dangerous Toys is not metal. Oh. But you know what I mean? It's like Alice Cooper is not metal. That's true. Right. Metal right. Church. I mean, Motorhead passes as metal because they have that sort of image and message uh, just by their disposition, right? Uh, but they're just blues on 10. Right. Yeah. Right. They're, they're a rock and roll. Right. Truly. Lemmy reminded everyone of that. Yep. He had. For sure. Yeah. So, and, and but that's fine. And and Lemmy was friends with Alice and friends with the priest guys. So it was, a, it was a, all right, I'm going out with my buddies. You know, this is, this is perfect. And I had known some of the metal church guys from the Watchtower days, which was really cool. Hell yeah. And, uh, I had met uh, their guitar player that metal church had the guy, John Marshall. He used to tech for uh kirk hammett and i met john uh in 86 85 or 86 when he was out with metallica because i uh was friendly with metallica between 83 and like 87 and have letters from james hetfield and stuff and used to call the house and everything anyway so that's a whole nother story so there's a jeep me and Mark are in the Jeep. Hey, we're in a little Jeep, you know, G.I. Joe, you know, whatever. <laughs> little little brown, you know, camo Jeep kind of thing. And there's a driver, and we're up on the roll bar. Hey, look at us. And people are taking pictures and stuff. And we roll up a little bit, and, and Alice and Rob are ahead of us on the tank. So here's the tank and the little Jeep, you know, and people, chicken, chicken, little snap shoe. You know, it's, it's 91. It's like May of 1991. Sunset Boulevard, right in front of the whiskey. Right. And then we back up and do it again and whatever. Uh, the uh, 
whoever was directing the press day said, Hey, Jason, why don't you get up on the tank? And I'm, you talk this, Jason, you're talking to me. <laughs> uh, and so I was like, Oh my God, you know, and, and I, I think I was holding my breath the whole time. You know, oh my God. So I got up, I got up and I sort of sat up there on the turret and I got Alice and Rob, two of my idols and I'm trying to look forward and the whole, if you see the picture, pull up the picture again, the whole time I'm trying to not smile. And I'm also saying to myself, just try to be cool. Just try yep. to be cool. Just chill. Just try to be cool. Just try to be cool. Oh my God. That's Rob Halford right next to me. <laughs> try to be cool. So I posted that picture years ago and, and the commentary was pretty funny. Some of my friends go, Hey, Jason, Rob wants his shades back. <laughs> well, shit, even Alex Cooper's smiling there, man. I mean, I thought it was a good one. Well, it's hot and sun, sunny out. Those guys are as pale as I was, you know, squinting just to get that sun out. Yeah, of you know, rock and roll people don't go. It's a that's a myth, you know. Alice probably hadn't sat out by the pool since he drank, a, you know, two cases of Michelob every day. <laughs> Low and brow, dude. Low and brow. Let it be no, low and brow. He's clean. Wow. He's clean. He's clean. He's you know he's clean. So is Rob too. They're both they're both clean. So that's congratulations to them. Well, damn man, I, I appreciate that man. I, I I remember. I think I think I it probably came up on the Facebook timeline a couple of years ago or whatever. And I just had it in the back of my head. Stony even said, "Hey man, make sure if you if Jason gets on the show, you got to ask him about that because he's got a, a cool story about it." And well, nobody else has a, a Ron Halford story that cool. You know, and if they do, it's not in a turret of a fucking tank. Right. Uh, so that's right. sure, I'm going to say. Yeah, it's uh, kind of it. it we're on, and also, it's a, not to throw more gas on that fire, but it's holy ground. At you the know, Alice and the Rob. Yeah. Oh, Alice and Rob both played the whiskey in the right. 70s. You know, they mm -hmm. were, that was a thing. That was where mm -hmm. you went to play, is what, you know, those, it's stomping grounds for those right. guys. Uh, I played the whiskey on my first tour as well. So it was hollow ground for me as well. That's amazing. So I don't I don't know what else to say. Mic drop? I don't you've know. said it. Yeah. You've you've pretty much said it. It's really easy. They're expensive. So I'm just gonna bow going. out now. So <laughs> I'm I'm not worthy, you know. Too many eyes on me, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed now, you know. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really humble, even though you know if I was just a, a fan of those guys, wow, wow, look at those dudes on that tent. Oh shit, that's Rob Halford, right? So well, again, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. I know I know you're gonna try. You have to get get some grub in you because you just came fresh from work up to uh to the Casually Serious podcast. So I appreciate you doing that, Jason. And thanks for coming and hanging out and sharing all this all the stories with us. Stony and I were talking about. Um, doing a few shows because we're going to have to do it in a few episodes about the history of what we think is the history of and the actual history of KISS. So if you'd like to be involved in that, let me know. Um, that's something I can talk about for the next 10 years of my life because we've been doing it for the last 47. So, um, of course. yeah, man, that'd be awesome, dude. Well, good to see all you guys. 
Yeah, man, Jason, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming and hanging out. Thanks for being a kick-ass dude, too, man. You're definitely a huge rock star in my eye. When I met you, man, you were you were just as cool as cool can be, and you treat everybody with a lot of respect, man. And, and I, I want to say that. I really appreciate that, man, for real. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I uh, you know, I just, I just love the music more than uh, I love myself. I think that uh, the music is the reason that we're all – uh, here anyway and I, it's emotional for me so if it's not emotional for you it's it's kind of you know and i feel like all of my idols feel feel that about the art you know it's it's more about the art and the people who uh love the art as much as you do creating it and performing it and you know the fans feel it too just the same when you guys have that kind of emotion out there we feel that i've talking to bob about that in the previous shows as well that the 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 bands and the musicians in particular that stuck out to us were the ones that you could almost feel that emotion that they were emitting on the stage you know doing what they love and for you to say something like you love the music more than yourself that's that's huge and and, and it's great to hear it really is it's it's the way that you talk to people too from the stage Right. You know what I mean, when when you're in a position to get personal on stage, you 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 should sometimes. Like I love when Rob Halford and Alice Cooper talk to the audience like a conversation. Right. You know, Alice is putting on a theatrical show, but every once in a while, you can hear Rob go, "We've been playing this heavy metal for about 50 years now. We really appreciate you guys still coming to still the coming. show. Still coming. Yeah. And he means that I shit. I mean it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. true. All right, my brother. Well, you have a good night, man. Thanks for thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us, Jason. You All have right. a good. Uh, I'll let Great you know meeting you, Jason. Thanks a lot, man. Good to meet you guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Are you going to kick right, me bro. out, or do do I wave off and just <laughs> fade backwards? Are you doing? Are you are you True. taking all of us out? This has been the greatest show on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Legends battle. Yeah. We'll let you slide out. I'll slide you out of the side door, my brother. You be well. Right. You have a great night, man. My my brother Stony man, you're the last one left. We're gonna throw this one up here because it's it's. I've just got such amazing memories of the amount of time that you allowed me to put in with your with your band. And uh, obviously, we know you've got um, you know you're in Bifist and Shadow Keep and and a lot of original stuff. But this this Drifter project for you, I know, was a passion thing. And it was it was totally one of the best times of my life. So I want to thank you for that. And on top of that, thank you so much for taking some time out and, and being on the show to, to talk about two bands I know you love more than anything. Well, I'm in, I feel like I'm indebted to you for uh, you. You helped me out at that time here in Austin. Uh, I had my hands full, obviously, and couldn't have done it without you. But so I really, really appreciate it. Love you, man. And, you know, and I really enjoyed tonight. Ken, lovely meeting you. And uh, likewise, Tony. Thank you, man. More and more rock as soon as we can. Absolutely. All right, dude. Stoney, you have a good night, my brother. I'm going to – we'll slide you out the side door as well, man. But have a good night. Give my love to Letty and uh, stay metal, brother. You're the best, bro. You too, buddy. You guys Later, Thanks, Tony. Take care, bud. So, Ken. Wow. Wow. Did we have a winner? Did we even tabulate that score? <laughs> yeah, I did. I actually took scores. I actually did do all of this. And if we're just going to go straight up with how many people picked Priest versus how many people picked Maiden, Maiden won 10 to 6. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I mean, and, and especially with you and I obviously leaning heavily towards Priest, I mean, I mean towards Maiden, you, you were the only one between the two of us that chose anything uh, from Priest. So, 
Um, and he only did that once. So I think we yeah. kind of outweighed that side of it. I believe the fact that it was Iron Maiden made it really difficult for these guys to lean towards Priest for those first, uh, certainly the first album. But, you know, you could see the way that they were feeling it as Priest rolled on. I think if you just flat out asked who the, you know, who their favorite band was, you know, it's probably going to be Priest, right? I mean, both of them, I feel like really, the, from what I got from that conversation, those guys have a real, real deep love for that band, which is incredible it's awesome to hear the name of their tribute band to judas priest is sad wings man so yeah. you know we've got both of them in a priest uh tribute band and they're freaking amazing at it but right all right man well it looks like the legends battle is complete man it looks like maiden took it but not by a hell of a lot my friends and, nope. I, and I really expected it to be a little bit a little bit crazier and i don't know right. if um it, just something that came over me because I was hearing Unleashed, or it could be the fact that maybe Jason, I felt like he was going to stab me when he saw me again if I didn't take a free yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was one of those two things. I know for a fact Stoney would have took the right one. I mean, I think you took the right one of, of, of all. I mean, I you know, th to be honest with you, it's a, you know, it's a, it is a great album. I was able to listen to a lot more Priest recently, and I and I will continue as well. So it's good. I, again, I always take something out of these shows. That's why I love doing this. Um, I'm always learning something different, just either in prepping or getting ready for the show. So, um, yeah. you know, this one really, it took a, a lot away from as well. And just to be able to get that kind of conversation with guys like this, you know, guys that are up on the stage that are producing the music that uh, we as fans go to listen to and appreciate and whether they're doing it with original music or they're, or they're putting their own take on, on music with tribute bands. It, it's at the end of the day, these guys are incredible at what they do and the passion is always there. And you heard Jason say, and, and mention about that. I mean, seriously, that comment about loving the music more than loving yourself really stood out to me a lot because I, I can get that. I can get having something that you care about that. I mean, I get that way listening to music. Can you imagine, being the person that's actually producing it standing on stage looking at those faces mm -hmm. i've i've cried and at, at, at live music before yep. i mean can you imagine yeah. a, a band member looking out and seeing a fan crying because of the a grown man at that crying yeah. at because of the music that's being produced on the stage uh i don't think i'll ever know how that feels but but it's really cool to be able to talk to a couple of guys that do it well put dude dead on the nose man i couldn't say it any better ken man Thank you so much for explaining that, man. And thanks for tabulating the scores. And, right. and I know you felt like you <laughs> might have been. All I did. Out. I don't care tonight. The night was a I fun was... one to be able to be a part of, and just have my face in there with that with with this crew was was great. And I know you have a, a, a connection with those guys differently too, as well, which was uh which was felt, and I think helped make everything really uh really comfortable. Hopefully, uh, the listeners tonight enjoyed the show, um, and certainly took something away from it. Definitely. Well, thanks to you guys who came and hang out. Obviously, um, Tammy came and hang out. Letty came to hang out with us tonight. Brian Smith, Andrew Pace, Lycanthrope. I feel like you're a werewolf. Is that what that is? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you guys hanging out. We had about seven, eight people hanging out almost the entire night. Andrew Pace coming to hang out as well. He's hanging out all of us. Thank you so much, man. But, Brian uh, Smith, yeah, how you doing, Brian Smith in El Paso? Got a little Texas for you in tonight's show. Hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I felt like it was important. Stoney and I were talking about it. Um, we need to keep the history rolling. Right. Thank you so much, Ken, man, for making this possible with us, man, as always. And uh, we'll we'll see what we're going to do next week. But as for tonight, thanks, everybody, for coming and hanging out with us tonight at the Casually Serious podcast. Uh, I don't know if we have a winner. We just got a score. Uh, these right. guys are amazing bands. They're legends. And uh, I was more than happy to cover them. So right. uh, you folks have a good night. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>